people in heaven. Lord, we come to you this morning so filled with joy and awe, Father, of your love and your power. Father, as we come today, Lord, we ask, Father, that in a wonderful way that your spirit will be working in each of our lives. Father, may we yield ourselves to you. Father, as I, as I preach, I pray, Father, that all my words will be removed and yours will be spoken through me. Father, I'm so aware that I fall short and I ask for your grace in my life. Father, we pray that as we hear your word, Lord, that we would take it in, that we'd apply it to our lives. And Father, that more than anything else, they would want you to be Lord in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, as I was preparing for today, I ran across an article on the Internet from Slate uh, Magazine. If you know anything about Slate, it's not conservative. It's not evangelical. It tends to be more toward the liberal um, leftist thing. And so when I saw the title, what if Jesus really did rise? It was written by Robert Morgan, and I was shocked to see how biblical it was. I really appreciated his first paragraph, which opened up the article. He says, just saying, what if Jesus really did rise from the dead? What if the gospel accounts are true? What if the eyewitnesses were right? What if a dead man came back to life literally as he predicted? If Jesus rose from the grave, then he is who he claimed to be, the light of the world, king of kings, Lord of all. If he rose from the dead, he is Emmanuel, God in flesh, appearing, who clothed himself in humanity to destroy death by death, and to free us all from its grip. If he rose from the dead, he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the resurrection and the life. And death is not the ultimate reality, nor the grave, the final resting place. If Jesus really rose from the dead, everything he ever said was true, including his teaching about heaven, and hell, and judgment, and sin, death, and everlasting life. If Jesus rose from the dead, if he rose from the dead, the rest of the Bible is also true. I think he really hit the nail on the head, so to speak. Today we'll be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. And John has designed chapter 20 uh, really to instruct us, to teach us about the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Actually, the entire Gospel of John is just compiled evidence, like for trial for Jesus and his resurrection. In chapter 20, 
John gives us very significant evidence of the resurrection as a witness for Jesus Christ's deity. As we look today at, at chapter 20, we'll see just a few, just a few of Jesus' appearances after his resurrection. We'll see the response of several people who became eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection. They'd all been friends, they'd eaten with him, they had worked with him in ministry, but none, none were ready spiritually and emotionally for this resurrection. Well, who were these people? And what did they see? And what were their responses to the empty tomb and to his appearance? In verses 1 and 2, we read, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that stone had been rolled away. And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which, by the way, is John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where it is. Within this passage, we see the first evidence of Jesus Christ's resurrection, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. As we look at the other Gospels, we can see that Mary Magdalene wasn't alone when she went and she saw that. Matthew, I believe, includes Mary, mother of Jesus. Mark includes Salome. Luke, Joanna. They probably were even more than that. And John by no means says that there weren't more with them because when Mary Magdalene went to the guys, she said, they've taken the tomb. Or they're taking Christ rather out of the tomb, but we don't know where his body is. Well, on arriving at the tomb, she was shocked to see this stone roll back. Who took Jesus' body? Was it moved to another tomb? Did they go to the wrong cave, the wrong tomb? And what were they to do? Well, finally, Mary runs back to Peter and John. But we know that from Luke 24, that she met doubt. It says that the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. No one at this point believed that Christ was resurrected. In verses 3 through 5, we see Peter as a second witness. Verse 3 says, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in, and he saw linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. John, it seems, being the younger, outran Peter. He didn't go in, though. He just looked. One senses maybe some hesitation, maybe some uncertainty. Who knows what lingers in the darkness? What might they find? And whether Peter rushed into the, the cave himself out of shame for what he had done, or whether, just true to his character, if you remember anything about Peter, he just moved forward. But he went in, 
to the cave. And he saw the linen straps that John had seen. But it says also that he noticed the burial cloth that had covered Jesus' head. It was folded and lying separate from other wrappings. Peter must have remembered this very well because later on in the book of Acts, at Cornelius' house, Peter was sharing with the people there and he said, God raised him to life on the third day and then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. And we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, living and dead. Well, as we look at the evidence of this empty tomb, we see Mary Magdalene, we see Peter, and now we see John, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Verse 8 says that after Peter had gone in, that John went into the tomb. Verse 8 says that John saw and believed. John saw and believed. And he goes on and says, up to then, no one had believed in the resurrection. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus Christ was resurrected. Why did he believe that? Something in the tomb must have made him feel sure of that. The burial practices of the Jews were very different from cultures around them. The Egyptians, of course, embalmed. The Romans and Greeks cremated their dead. But the Jews didn't either. The dead were wrapped in strips of linen cloth uh, containing probably a 100 pounds or so of dry spices. And they were placed, the bodies, on their back without coffins in the tombs. And the bodies were not wrapped totally up, up to their shoulders. They were open. The neck was open. The face was not wrapped. It seems that John, as he came in to the tomb, he was able to look and to observe and to reflect. He saw these clothes left behind as if Christ's body probably was still in it. But the body was missing. And it says that John basically saw with understanding and believed. He saw and believed. Do you see? Do you see? But more so, do you see that it really matters? In the past, there was a mindset probably for 40, 50, 60 years or more, there was a mindset that because of natural law that Resurrection of a dead person could not take place. But nowadays, that's kind of changed. And no longer would a physical law such as as the natural aspect of it stop people from believing today. There's another law. There's a law within, a personal law inside me and others, uh, like me, all of us, that says, I don't have to adopt my life to this to anything that I don't find helpful. John Piper paraphrases this truth. Truth, for me, is what I find acceptable and helpful. 
this false idea that whatever I find to be true, whatever I find to be good for me is true. And I don't have to believe anything else. With that in mind, the issue then is, do I care? Do I find it helpful? And if not, then I just view it in the way that I view UFOs or the way that I view uh, maybe another galaxy or another planet. I don't need to bother with it. If it helps you, fine. But don't push it on me. The truth is, some of us here today, not even realizing it, have adapted that mindset. Truth is whatever I believe to be true. You see, we've been absorbed by the culture around us. We go to elementary and middle school and high school and public schools. We go off to universities. And throughout these schools, for the most part, we receive a worldview that says there is no absolute truth. And whatever I believe is true is true. We get it not only in school, we get it in the media, in music, in TV, in movies, and down the line. Yet, Acts 17, 30, 31 says that God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has a fixed day on which he will judge the world by righteousness by one man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by the raising of him from the dead. All of us, one day, all of us, each of us, will stand before God. He calls the world to repent because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And none of our excuses will work in his court. It doesn't matter if I or you find it helpful or not. God will judge us. And it's not like a UFO or another planet with people on it that I can just ignore. It's like saying that it doesn't concern you. It's like saying, ah, you close your eyes and say, there is no light. Or it's like the ostrich who sticks his head in the sand. And I'm sure that none of you have ever seen kids putting their hands over their ears and saying, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. That's the same thing that we do when we ignore God's truth. Well, we've seen the first evidence with three witnesses, the empty tomb. The second piece of evidence is Christ's appearance to Mary Magdalene. Remember, Jesus had cast out seven demons out of Mary Magdalene's body. And she had received special grace from Jesus Christ. And so she loved him very much. And this deep love brought her to the tomb that morning, bright and early. Because it seems probably that her faith had been lost. We see first her sorrow. 
verses 10 through 13, it talks about Mary standing outside the tomb, just weeping, just crying when she saw someone standing by her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Finally, Christ called her by name. Mary? She turns toward him, recognizing who he is, responding to that name that was called. We see here as Jesus called out Mary's name, it's that personal thing that he does with each of us. He calls us by name. The good shepherd knows his sheep and he calls them by name. And they recognize his voice and they come. In verse 17, Christ tells Mary, because she had fell at his feet, clinging to him, Christ says to her, Mary, stop clinging, but go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. You see, as a result of the resurrection, Jesus was the disciples' brother. And today, if we're in Jesus Christ, if we know Christ as our Savior, he is our brother. His father is our father. His God, our God. When Mary Magdalene left and then followed Christ's instructions to go and to tell the brothers. Well, as a result of the resurrection, the disciples were all in shock. And yet they just, they were scared. John Stott, as he thinks about Mary going to these guys, says that when Jesus said, don't cling to me, that maybe he was saying, there are some brothers and sisters who are broken and who are hurting and who don't know that I've arisen. And go, go tell them. If this is the case, it's a very direct application for you and for me and for the body of Christ today. Because it's too easy for us, isn't it, to sit at the feet of Jesus, in a sense, to enjoy his comfort, to know that we're his, and yet not go out and share the gospel with those who are hurting around the world? Well, the resurrection definitely was historical, but it's also personal. Christ came to Mary, a woman filled with despair. She was hopeless. She lost all hope, feeling betrayed by the events. But Jesus met her at her own level of need. You and I today can meet Jesus. Sure, we can't have this face-to-face talk with, with the Lord. But by faith and by the Spirit of God, you and I can be changed as we look to God. We can encounter a life change no different than hers. Christ still comes to transform broken and fearful people. And my question for you today is, what is your relationship with this risen Lord, Jesus Christ? Have you heard the good news? Do you believe it? Have you trusted in Christ? He died for you. Won't you come to him this morning? Well, so far, we've 
discussed the three eyewitnesses at the empty tomb. We saw Christ's appearance with Mary Magdalene. Now, let's look at the third piece of evidence, Christ's appearance to his disciples in the upper room. This scene now moves from the early morning hours when it's still dark to the evening. The disciples were all locked up in the upper upper room out of fear. They were afraid that what they did to Jesus, their Lord and Savior, they might do to them. And so they locked themselves inside. Verses 21 and 22 say, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. He talks about how he showed them his hands, the nail scars and the spear uh, wound on his side. And he says to them, peace be with you. And then later on again, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Miraculously, Jesus just appears to them in this locked room. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't push the door down. He just appeared. He just appeared. And as he appeared with them, he shows them the nails, scars, the the spear wound. Why? Because he wanted them to know that this, this man who had died was alive. And that they, in their fear, could know that he stood with them. John Piper says, this means that today in your life, that Jesus can go wherever, uh, where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can reach into you anywhere, anytime. There is no place where you are in no depth of personhood that you are, which Jesus cannot penetrate. There is no one else like him. So when we hurt, know that he is capable and able to reach us at any depth, at any point in our lives. In the disciples' views, these doors being locked kept the officials out. And yet, John, as he wrote this gospel, wanted people to know that the locked doors served as a reminder that nothing can stop or hinder Jesus Christ, who is resurrected. We all face fears in our lives. If we're honest, we all have fears. Sometimes I fear that I won't be prepared for what I need to do here at church. Sometimes I fear the church might not grow. Sometimes I fear that I might drift into worldliness and be of no effect. Sometimes I fear that I could fall into sin and not live well and die well. I fear maybe that my kids might, through some disappointment or whatever, fall from walking with the Lord. These are fears that I don't love to talk about, and yet they're true. We all fear. And we need, at this point, to look and to remember that Jesus knows our needs. 
And Christ comes to us wherever we are. He doesn't wait for us to get everything in order. He is there for us to carry us through these tough times, through these hard times. He comes when we cry out, and he helps us when we don't know what to do. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your son, or I am your God. And I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, in verse 21, 22, we read that Christ again said, Peace be with you. As the Father sends you, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them. And I love what John Piper says as he looks at that passage there. He said, God longs to give you and me three gifts. The gift of peace, the gift of power, and the gift of purpose. The opposite of peace is conflict. The opposite of power is weakness. The opposite of purpose is aimlessness. Many of our lives are ruined by conflict and by weakness and by aimlessness. And Jesus didn't come into the world to die and to rise up in order to ruin our lives, but rather to save it. So in the midst of our life with fears and struggles, look to the risen Resurrected Savior. He is always there for us. Well, fourth piece of evidence, we see Christ appearing to Thomas. I think probably most of us are so aware that, that Thomas was not with the disciples the first time when Christ appeared in the upper room. And then he heard them say, we've seen the Savior. We've seen Christ. We've seen him. And Thomas's response was that of doubt. He says, I have to see the nail scars and the, and the wound on his side, and I have to put my fingers in them to believe. But later, Thomas responds by faith when Jesus returns to the upper room, and he shows him, and, and, and Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. If Judas depicts betrayal and Peter denial, then Thomas probably demonstrates skepticism. Well, earlier, we saw that John at the grave in the tomb, he saw all the grave clothes, and he says that he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. He reflected on what he saw and, and he believed. And then here with Thomas, he saw the wounds, and he believed. Well, you've seen the evidence for the resurrection. Have you believed? Have you believed? As we look at this chapter, we see that this chapter provides so much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Later on, one, one more chapter over, John 21, 25 says, 
that if they, all the things that Christ had done, if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that were written. That's a lot. That's a lot. God has provided very adequate evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the evidence include the empty tomb, witnessed by three in this chapter. Those who witnessed the resurrected Christ after being raised up. The changed character of those disciples. And the evidence of the undisturbed burial clothes. Robert Morgan, in this article that I read earlier some from uh, in Slate, talks about the changes of the disciples. He says, on Friday, they were broken men and spineless cowards. On Monday, they were ready to face prison and whips and snarling beast and death itself. And not for a moment for the rest of their lives did any of these men lose their nerve, deny their faith, or change their story. We see changed lives because they saw the resurrected Jesus. The evidence of the grave clothes was enough for John to believe. James Montgomery Boyce writes in his commentary, we conclude that if men fail to believe, it's because they will not believe. Not because the evidence is not there. Morgan goes on and says, the tomb was truly vacant on Easter morning. No one in Jerusalem disputed that. The followers of Jesus Christ didn't deny it, nor the Roman officials, nor the deployed soldiers, nor the Lord's enemies, nor the crowds packing Jerusalem for the Passover. It was openly acknowledged by all. For you must realize that this wasn't done behind the scenes. It wasn't done in the corner. It was where all could see. And to deny the resurrection, one has to explain how the body of Christ disappeared beneath the noses of well-trained guards who secured the tomb on pain of death and yet allowed a ragged band of frightened fishermen to creep in unnoticed and to break the Roman seal, to roll back that massive stone, to enter the cave and hoist that corpse onto their shoulders and race out from the area and dispose of the body without anyone seeing. Well, this passage provides so much evidence if we're willing to believe. We've seen the response, the reactions of people. Mary first was in despair, but when she saw Christ, she had the faith and devotion. And John's reaction says that he saw and he believed. There was a reflection on the clothes and then faith. And Thomas, disbelief followed by a declaration of belief. Today as we live in this world, there are different reactions. One is that it was the body was stolen. But that really doesn't make much sense because the grave clothes would have been would not have been left behind. They stole the body. They would have taken everything getting out. And certainly, they wouldn't have left the clothes in the positions that they were left. Some say, oh, Christ just fainted, and he got into this cold cave, and he woke up. 
And they believed that he removed the linen wraps afterwards. But we must understand that there were 75 to 100 pounds of, of dry spices. And, and if he had removed the cloths, there would have been 100 pounds of spices on the floor. And yet no gospel, no evidence whatsoever is seen of that. So there's denial, and then there's doubt. There are those that say, miracles can't really happen, can they? Uh, the evidence is so old. It's 2,000 years ago. Of course, there's some today who make a decision to dedicate their lives to the Lord. But I think more important than what the world does is what will you do? We could go on and on about more and more witnesses. First Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, talks about the fact, he's, Paul says, I passed on to you what was the most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said. He was seen by Peter first, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. 500. Well, after hearing about Jesus' death and resurrection, where do you stand today with Christ? John, the author of the gospel, invites us to respond by believing. And that is, committing our lives personally to Christ, accepting his death on the cross as being God's sacrificial lamb to atone for our sins, to pay for our sins, and for us to follow him. We could go on and on about other examples. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke talks about how so many people had written down their records. They kept the records. And he himself, the Gospel of Luke, was written so that people may know the truth. Well, John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I often read this at funerals because it makes us think, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? He asked. And I ask you. Do you believe this? Do you see the resurrection, as I said earlier? Do you see it? There's something that matters. Please don't buy into that false statement that truth for me is what I find acceptable and helpful. Every one of us will one day stand before God. He calls the world to repent, and we've all sinned. And none of our excuses will count in his court. It doesn't matter whether you find it or I find it helpful or not. God's word says we will be judged. And again, it's not like a UFO or some planet far away that's inhabited by people where we can say it doesn't matter. 
Remember, it's more like death. It's coming. Death is coming. We will face death. Don't close your eyes and say there's no light. Don't stick your head in the sand like an ostrich. Or don't cover your ears and cry out, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Remember, we celebrate a risen Savior who came to earth. God came putting on flesh in order that he might die for you and for me, for our sins. He longs for us this morning to make a decision to put our faith and trust in Christ and him alone. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, I don't know where people stand today that are here. But I do know, Father, probably that there are people here today who say, yeah, if, it's, if Christ was truly resurrected, that's no big deal. It doesn't help me. Father, Father, I pray that they might see the truth. Father, that they might have an encounter with you through your spirit and through your word. And Father, we pray that if there are some here who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, Father, that they would do it this morning, realizing that one day that we will be judged and that if we put our faith in Christ, Lord, that we have eternal life through Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time is the